You may be seated, and kids, third grade and under, you can go to kids' church, third grade and under. Be nice to your teachers. I say that because um, it's missions month, if you didn't know that, and uh, this banner that says we're passionate about global missions is not a lie. We are passionate about global missions, and we always have been as a church, and so you'll get to hear a little bit about that. But I, I joke about Sunday school teachers because Deborah, who's with us today, she has not been able to be with us for months because of health concerns, and that's why she's sitting in my nice office chair. She couldn't make it through both services if it weren't for that. Um, but she was one of my Sunday school teachers, along with Sue Brown back there, and uh, long-suffering, I don't know if it conveys the proper word for me and the group of boys that they had to deal with. I think we went through like four teachers in one quarter one time. But look how he turned out, just beautifully. Uh, but Deborah's going to share a few things about uh, missions in our church and some upcoming events this month. And so if you, would, if you can see here, guide your attention to where she's at, and uh, she's going to share some things. Hello. Okay. Um, it is Missions Month. Um, every October is dedicated to um, both education and hearing from speakers. And we have a wonderful fundraiser at the end of the month. Uh, if you've been here for more than a year, you know that the last Wednesday in October is our international dinner night. And we have basically everybody brings a dessert and then the missions board steals the desserts <laughs> and then auctions them back to the people who attend. And um, we have a wonderful time doing that. It's great fun. Um, but that's one of the fundraisers that we do. Actually, it's, I think it's pretty much the on, only fundraiser we do as a board. Um, other individuals, we've done dinners and things like that as fundraisers for individual efforts. Um, but we thought that and perhaps we should talk to you, in case you haven't been here for over a year, about how missions functions. Um, this church, maybe, I, I don't know, I think the greater perception of a church this size is that it's a small country church. And, you know, and they, they take care of themselves, and that's pretty much all they do. Well, this particular country church has a global footprint. And it would amaze you, the places people have gone and the things they have done. The number of missionaries that we have sent from this church, some who have been on the field for over 25 years. So we have a global footprint. And what we wanted to talk to you about today, and when I say we, I have myself, or Pastor Sean, who is homesick, uh, Rachel Friend. And Bear Collins, and I think Bear left. So, but anytime you want to know about missions, those are your people. Um, as I told the earlier service, it's just a fact of life that missions runs on money. People who go to the field have to be financially supported. And so we deal a lot with finance and how we support missionaries in this church. We direct the funds for that. That's what the missions board here does, amongst other things, like two speakers for missions month. And at the end of this month, you'll be hearing from Bill Walker, who is the chair 
of the Board of World Missions for the EMC. Um, his wife is unable to come, but Lisa is the head of multicultural missions for the EMC. And we support them financially. Um, but there are two, two funding streams for missions here at the church. One is Faith Promise. And by the end of the month, you'll be asked to fill out a Faith Promise card. And essentially what it is is a conversation that you basically need to start having now with God and as to how he would lead you and what he will provide for you to give to Faith Promise. And we have several mission, missionaries that we support through that. Um, and I'm not going to mention names because we're streaming, but uh, their mission boards are People International, um, OMS. We have a large number of people who are associated with OMS, InterServe, and YWAM, and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, just to name a few. Uh, we have sent missionaries to several different countries, both in the past and currently. Um, and just to name a few, and you can see from the flags, there's quite a few. Um, but we've sent missionaries to Hungary, China, Mexico, Russia, Turkey, Myanmar, Ukraine, Uzbekistan, countries in Africa, Fiji, Haiti. And that's the other, the other finance stream, which is Prime Money Market, which comes from a gift to missions from the church that is 4% of tithes and offerings. So those are our two financial streams. Faith Promise, which, as I said, talk to God. It's, it's time to do it again. Um, and we, what we do is, with your Faith Promise, we turn around and figure out what our budget is for our missionaries. How much can we give them in the coming year? Um, Prime Money Market allows us to do things like bring in speakers like Bill Walker, and it, we manage to pay them a speaker's fee out of that. We pay their housing out of that for coming to speak travel. Um, we support InterVarsity out of that, and we have three different people that we support because of Prime Money Market in InterVarsity. Like I said, we support Bill and Lisa Walker out of that. We support, we do quarterly gifts every year. One of them is the International Justice Mission. And then the other three quarters, we actually have individual missionaries that we give a singular gift. They don't get support monthly from us, as those in Faith Promise do, but we give them a singular gift once a quarter to different missionaries. We also use Prime Money Market to get people on the mission field. Um, we've supported the families here strongly to get them on the mission field and keep them on the mission field. Um, it pays overhead for any efforts that we have for curriculum, for, um, and my head's not going to remember the word I want, but we're able to provide prayer guides for you in the spring for, um, what's it called, Nathan? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, that makes me feel better. But any curriculum, any, any kind of educational things that we have, we've um, bought curricula 
on missions for the kids at, at certain times. Um, we send money to help refugees from that fund. We've done it for the Ukraine. We've done it for Myanmar. We do it for, for different efforts where we find that people that we have a specific interest in are in need. That includes Uzbekistan, which is our adopted people group. We actually have a family who lives there. Um, the wife is native Uzbek, and they continue to live in Uzbekistan and support and evangelize the people around them, their, their families, uh, people they come in contact with. So we have a strong presence there. And, and that's the unusual thing is, is that you're not aware of missions happening here every day. But it does. And it happens because God leads you and you individually are on the mission field. You individually provide the funds that allows us to support every missionary work that we're involved with. And it's through your submission and your obedience to what God leads you to do that we're able to do all of the fantastic and wondrous things that we do in missions here. So thank you. Be talking to God this month about what you're going to do with Faith Promise. And anytime you have a question or you'd like to know what's going on in missions, stop any of us. We'll be happy to talk to you about it. <laughs> Thank you. Debbie is the chairman of our uh, missions board here at the church. And uh, the team she named is, is the team, the missions team. And so missions is one of those things that unless you know, you don't really know. But uh, faith promise is huge. Um, imagine being a missionary, doing God's call in another country, and you don't know how much money you're going to get depending on how obedient the people are in that local church to give. And so uh, really be praying about it. Um, we're a unique church in that we tithe to missions from our general fund. I don't know many churches that do that, but we have a real heart. And um, again, we can't name a lot of specifics, but there have been multiple missionaries coming out of this church, not just short-term, but long-term, who've been obedient to that call. And uh, so our, our heart beats for discipleship-making and, and, and bringing people to Jesus. And I mentioned first service. I'll mention it this, this service as well. Our largest ministry in our church is the school. Um, and, and the majority of the school families don't attend our church. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we like our church, right? But our heart and vision is to make disciples, period. We are not the church. The church is the body of Christ, and we're one part of it. And so we want to do everything we can to help that great commission. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel. Today's message just happens to be entitled, Givers or Takers. Givers or Takers. According to our policy and procedure, I'm required as your pastor to give you a stewardship message at least once a year. And uh, just like our missions funding that we, we heard from Deborah, most churches, if not all churches and, um, and parachurch ministries are nonprofits that depend solely on the giving of others. Now, you may say, well, why do we tithe? What is tithing about? Well, it's established, we see in the Old Testament, when Abraham conquered the kings that conquered the, the future promised land. And so all the spoils from all the cities they conquered now belong to Abraham. 
And Abraham actually gave all those spoils back to the people. But before he did that, he went to Salem, to the king of Salem, a guy named Melchizedek, who was in the role of both priest and king, and he gave 10% or a tithe to him as an act of worship toward God. And so that started the process for those who are descendants of Abraham and the followers of God to continue to give a tithe back to God. And so when the Levitical law came along, there were specific laws on how to bring in tithes and offerings. Now, offerings and sacrifices go hand in hand with tithing. But let me be clear, at the beginning of this message, that you are not paying God for his favor or blessing. Tithing is not about that. It's not about getting in good. The world works that way, right? You know, you want a nicer seat at a restaurant, you slip the guy a fiver if you're me, 20 if you're you, right? Um, we, we think we have to earn our way. And, and so that's not what tithing is about. That's not the kind of exchange. In fact, tithing is all about the attitude behind it. It's the acknowledgement that everything, literally everything you have is God's. And so we have an attitude of of thankfulness and willing to give back to him. We're completely dependent on him. And so tithing is about showing your love and devotion and dependence to him as you willingly give back a portion of what he's blessed you with. So let me be clear. Tithing is not a demand. It's a request from God. If it were a demand, all of you would have had to pay admission in order to get in the sanctuary this morning. But that would defeat the purpose of what tithing is all about. So when we talk about stewardship and we talk about tithing, here's how that goes hand in hand. A steward is somebody who takes care of something that's not his or hers. So uh, a, a steward would be, you know, let's say you're, you're in a house and you live in that house and you care for that house, but you don't own that house. And so you, you do your best to make it the best it can properly be, but the owner could come anytime and take it back from you and you had, would have to willingly receive it uh, back to him. Um, the true heart of stewardship in tithing is the difference between three kids. And I'm not referring to my kids this morning. This is just an example Three kids, you ask him to clean the room, all right? The first one says, I'll be glad to do it. And then a day, two days later, no change. The second kid one whines and complains and throws a fit, cleans the room, does a pretty good job, but it's all with an attitude. It's not the best it could be. The third kid says, yes, I'll do it, and works hard on the room. It's still not perfect but it's the best that they can do. And they actually go above and beyond what you ask them to do. Now, which kid are you the most pleased with? The one that says, I'll do it, and doesn't do it? The one that has an attitude the whole time, even though they accomplish the task? Or the third one that has a good attitude and does their best? Obviously the third one, right? That's how God wants us to be about our stewardship and tithing and giving. He wants the heart behind it. It's not about the task, it's about the heart. And so with that, we're going to jump right back into 1 Samuel chapter 1 that we studied last week. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jerome, the son of Elihu, the son of Toho, son of Zuf of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. 
Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and to each of his children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only the choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. Now, we established last week that, um, that this is somewhat unusual, this routine of sacrifice at the temple, because this is coming out of the time of Judges, where it is, it is a low point in the spiritual health of the nation of Israel. There's lawlessness, there's wickedness rampant, and so this family is a unique family in that they honor God traditionally every year. And so Elkanah has to consistently travel to this place of worship and sacrifice was asked of him. There doesn't seem to be any kind of attitude or resentment in the process. We don't get this, this refusal to be obedient to God because he's not getting what he wants out of life. We talked last week, Hannah wants a child, can't have a child. So Elkanah says, well, God, until you give me a son through Hannah, I'm not going to come. And there's none of that. Um, there's also indicators in the passage that Elkanah was probably a fairly wealthy man. And so we may look at Elkanah and say, well, yeah, it's easy for him. He's got plenty of money. You know, he, he, he's well-to-do. He's really blessed. Me, I'm struggling paycheck to paycheck to cover my bills. But let me tell you that tithing is the same test for everyone. Yes, it may be more of a struggle for you to cover your bills, but people that make more than you have to pay more in a tithe because it's still 10% of their money. It's a different dollar amount, yes, but it's still a sacrifice for all of us. It's still a pushing. You know, tithing is painful, and it should be. It pries our fingers off the ownership of our lives and our stuff and forces us to trust God for our needs. If you remember in Luke chapter 21, Jesus is in the place of worship and observes people paying their tithes. It says, while Jesus was in the temple, he was watching the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. What Jesus is saying is, it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. God could use Hannah and eventually use her son Samuel because before God ever answered her prayer to have a son, they already had the right heart and perspective that God is the one who's in control, that they are indebted to God for their very existence and they will gladly do what he asked them to do. They were truly dependent on him. So when Hannah finally comes to that moment of breaking that we talked about last week, in verse 11 of chapter 1, she's ready. She says, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you'll look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. This is a prayer of stewardship, of tithing, of sacrifice. She says, God, I'm going to give you my very best, my greatest desire. If you bless me with this, I will give it back to you. 
So when we talk about stewardship and tithing, yes, we're talking about giving of money and our jobs and our resources, but that's not all God asks of us. God also asks to give back to him from our time, our abilities, and our spiritual gifts. You know, churches also run on volunteers. <laughs> it does. Churches run on volunteers, people willing to, to take of their time and their talents and their abilities and their giftings and say, I want to invest in people. The reason why we've sent so many missionaries from this church is there are individuals who said, I'm going to take of my time and my resources and I'm going to care about a people that don't speak my language and don't live in my town and I'm going to be bleeding for them and I'm going to serve them. And so anyone who's ever been called into the mission field out of this church, it all started off with a passion for people and missions initially. People. We need people to serve on boards, committees, teach kids, youth and adults, cook meals, visit the sick and shut in, make repairs to the church, or pray with those that need a deeper touch. So when we talk about stewardship, maybe you're great at tithing. And, and, and I, I always add this disclaimer, I don't know what anybody gives in this church. I never want to know and I'll never seek it out. That's between you and God. I, don't, I, don't, I, I get a, a, a total number because I have to order the, the budget and work with our, our budget committee on that, but I don't know what anybody gives, and really that's between you and God. But you may be great at tithing, and I think for the most part our church is really good at it comparatively, which is kind of sad because most churches really struggle with the issue of tithing. I think partly because pastors are afraid to preach on it, and, and we're supposed to preach on it. Um, but I think we need to realize that that... Maybe we don't have a lot to give financially, but we do have a heart for people. We do have giftings. We do have other things that we can do. 1 Samuel 1, 21-28. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow, but Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned. By the way, she had a baby. And then I will take care, take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. And when the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I'm the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. So two more times it's mentioned that they go to Shiloh to bring their offering to God. And the last time is this three-year-old bull. Now in the translation from the original Hebrew to, to English, it's either a three-year-old bull or three bulls. Either way, that's not a very traditional sacrifice. This is a very big sacrifice. Uh, in contrast, uh, in Luke 2.24, after Mary, the mother of Jesus, gave birth to him, she had to go through purification rites. And when she came and gave her sacrifice, do you know what she gave? Two doves. They were poor. They couldn't afford anything more. And so you see this contrast that this is a, this is a huge gift, whether it's a three-year-old bull or three, three bulls. Um, 
the point being is we can key in on how large this sacrifice is and miss the point of what they're really giving. Three-year-old bull or three bulls, that's a big sacrifice. But what's the big sacrifice? Here's our son. Raise our son. We're giving. How many of you would give up your child at that age to the service of God and see him only at the times of worship when you'd go back? So hard, right? And you may say, well, well my life is hard and, and, and giving back to God is difficult. You're not Samuel's parents. That's probably the greatest sacrifice you could give besides your own life is those that you love most dearly, your children, to the service of God. Once again, tithing and stewardship is all about the attitude. Yes, the action should reflect the attitude, but you can have the actions of obedience without the heart of devotion. Isn't that a great picture? How many times have you been obedient to what you're supposed to do and that was your expression the whole time? Ugh. I don't want to do it and I'm going to make sure you know I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because I don't want more punishment. Yeah, that's not pleasing to God. It's not pleasing to God. Now, in contrast to Hannah, who do you think would be the best at giving and, and, and stewardship and and tithing, and service. I mean, even in our culture today, we tend to put our, our pastors and our leaders and our teachers on a pedestal, and they should be an example to everybody. So it makes sense that in this awful, wicked time period, that the best examples of stewardship should be the priesthood. Chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels, who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork while the meat of the sacrifice animal was still boiling. The servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Let me say that again. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, Take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. Then the servant would demand, No, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight for they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. Now, we're talking about food here. And it's not just food, though, right? It's food that's given in sacrifice. So this is, this is something that was demanded by God at the time. Something had to die in your place in order for you to have a relationship with God, the shedding of blood. And so this isn't just about food. Let me give you more of a context from the book of Deuteronomy. We're told how this functioned within the priesthood. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. It says, Remember that the Levitical priests, that is the whole of the tribe of Levi, will receive no allotment of land among the other tribes in Israel. Instead, the priests and the Levites will eat from the special gifts given to the Lord, for that is their share. They will have no land of their own among the Israelites. 
The Lord himself is their special possession, just as he promised them. These are the parts of the priest may claim as their share from the cattle, sheep, and goats that the people bring as offerings. The shoulder, the cheeks, I think it's the rear quarters, the cheeks he's talking about, not the cheek cheeks, and the stomach. You must also give to the priest the first share of the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and the wool at shearing time, for the Lord your God chose the tribe of Levi out of all of your tribes to minister in the Lord's name forever. So the tribe of Levi is a unique tribe in the nation of Israel. They were never given land of their own. And without having land of their own, they can't have cattle and sheep and, and, and crops and all the rest. They can't be self-sustaining. They are dependent upon the rest of the tribes for their normal needs. And so their role was they were in charge of protecting and preserving and, and being instruments of worship. So they were completely dependent on the tithes and the sacrifice of the people for their livelihood and well-being. And their possession in life, their special possession, was God himself. He says, I'm your special possession. Not any land, not any wealth, not anything else. Your goal in life is just to serve me, a, a people uniquely dedicated to God. Now the problem we see in 1 Samuel is Hophni and Phinehas have lost the heart of their calling. Instead of treating their role as steward in God's house, they act like the owners. This is our place and we're going to do what we want. They demand the best portions of meat. Hey, I don't want any shoulder or cheek or stomach. Give me what I want. I'm tired of boiled meat. I want it raw so I can broil it my own way. They are treating the holy things of God as unholy and taking away from the worship of the individuals that have come to them seeking God's presence. Guys, this is a big deal. Their lack of respect for God is affecting everyone else. They cease to be content with what God has blessed them with and demand more, and so they poison the purity of worship. Now, I'm a pastor, been a pastor now 20 years. That's, I'm getting old, Sue. Um, <laughs> and as a pastor, I'll tell you, sometimes I get uniquely blessed by people because of my role and calling. And it's very easy for a, a pastor or a church leader to start feeling entitled or, or that they should get special treatment, demanding the generosity of others. I've seen it happen before. And so it can be a trap for pastors and religious leaders to have their heart pulled away um, and, and called away from what they're supposed to do. Let me tell you, a pastor by nature is called to be a steward. A pastor is a servant of everyone. So when anyone is called to ministry or the pastorate, it should be done in, in fear and trembling and humility because it is not a call to a higher status. It's, called, it's a call to the lowest status, and it's a, a beautiful call, right? We do what we do because God is our special possession. But it's very, um, it's very easy uh, to, dis and I've seen it, demand specific payment or, or whatever. We, when we do that, we, we cheapen the office, and we diminish the message of grace that we're called to. It's also my role as a pastor, not just to preach the gospel, but do my best to exemplify it. 
And so our attitude needs to be the same in our giving and stewardship. And so I want, to, I want you to know that in a, in a message like this, a call to, to, to faith promise, a call to tithing, a call, I do all of those things as well. Yes, the church pays my salary, but I give back just like you do. Our attitude needs to be the same in our giving and stewardship. We are to give freely and receive freely as people. As we're called to give to us, we're called, as people are called to give up to us, we're called to give to them. The pattern for us within the body of Christ, as I talked about last week, there's givers and there's takers, right? If you take, you harm. If you take, you're not benefiting anyone. But if you give, you're blessing. And what should happen in the church that we see in Acts chapter 2 is you give freely as people have need, and people give freely to you as you have need, and as you give freely and you want people to just receive it, you have to receive that back. And it's this mutual love and respect and community that's built. When you're unfaithful, In the simple things, when you're unfaithful to give back to God what he asks of you, it leads to greater sin and disobedience. Let's look again at these scoundrels, these sons of Eli, in verses 22 through 25. Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you're doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons would not listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. An attitude of taking instead of freely giving leads to great destruction within the body of Christ. That's the heaviness of tithing and and giving um, of your gifts and your talents and your time and your ability. Yes, God doesn't demand it of us, but that's the choice to freely give in love. And when we don't have the right heart and we don't have the right attitude, we don't honor God, we don't respect God. And the truth of the matter in life is if you don't honor and respect God, you will not honor and respect other people. It's a fact. How you treat other people often reflects how you treat God. And how you treat God often reflects in how you treat other people. The two go hand in hand. And so we see the heart behind tithing is a very serious issue in the church. It can lead you to a place where you're unteachable, you're hard-hearted, and instead of God using you to bless others and bless you in turn, sometimes he literally has to take you out. Now, I don't want to be taken out of this life earlier than God has planned. There's lots of things I want to do, lots of things I want to experience. There's, there's lots of ministry ahead of me. But I also serve the Lord in fear and trembling because I know that there is a standard that he has us to live by. I want to end the service today with a testimony. Um, now I share this with you not to make myself look better because as you'll see in the testimony, God gets all the glory. But my wife and I completed our home in 2019. We, we built a house, beautiful home. It's funny, we built a bedroom for each kid, and then God said, no, I got one more for you. And so we still don't have a bedroom for each kid. Um, but we started making plans three years earlier. 
In 2016, um, God blessed us with the, in, the ability to buy the property that we built our house on. And so we were in the process of trying to sell our home in order to have the down payment for the contractor to start building our home. And in the midst of that time period, and this, this may be no news to you. Some of you have heard this testimony before, but I thought it was timely today. In the midst of that time, I, I was challenged by God. My whole life I've tithed, even, even when I was a kid and got birthday money, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I always tithed. And, um, but as I became an adult, I tithed off my net income instead of the gross. I, I, didn't, I didn't tithe on my taxes and, and the exemptions and the things that were, were pulled before I got my paycheck. I just looked at my paycheck number total and tithed off of that. Well, God challenged me and said, I want you to pay back everything off your gross from all your adulthood life. And I'm like, how am I going to do that? Thankfully, I kept all my tax returns. And so I went back and I looked through and I was like, God, this is terrible timing. You know, I, I, I bought this land. I'm trying to build a house. I'm trying to sell a house. And as I'm going through the numbers for both my wife and I, I discover the total that God is asking me to pay back to him is $13,000. Just over $13,000. And, and so he, he, he left it in my court. He didn't demand it of me, but he asked me, will you have the faith to trust me in this season that I'll provide if you pay me back? So I said, okay. So I started pay, making extra ties every month, $200 a month. And then as God blessed me with more money, I'd give more. Um, Leah, by the way, Leah and I were on the same page with this. Neither of us were like, oh, yay, we get to do this. Um, but we understood. When God challenges you, there's a reason for it. And uh, during that time, we had our house on the market. Man, we had home showings like crazy. Um, we even had a routine down. How we got our, I mean, when you have five kids, getting a house ready within a sh few short hours for it to show to sell is crazy. So you're living in the house, you're trying to sell it. So we had a routine as to what laundry baskets filled with what junk ended up in what car, where we were going to park the car so it wasn't sitting in front of the house full of junk, like all of this for two years showing the house. Afterward, I found, I talked to a guy that actually looked at our house three times and didn't end up buying it. I'm thinking, you're the guy that I did all that for? Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> um, and so we couldn't, we couldn't start building our home until this house sold. It got so bad for us that we didn't even want to look at the property that we'd bought. It was like made us heart sick because it seemed so distant. And yet we kept being faithful to do what God called us to do. In July of 2018, so two years later, we paid the last of that 13000 back to God here at this church. And in that same exact month, our house went under contract. Same exact month. You know, my bank account, our bank account, our checking account, was almost exactly the same amount it was when God challenged me. I didn't lose a dollar. I had the same amount in my checking account that I did two years prior. God was faithful. And it just so happened, just coincidence, that, that the builder that we wanted to use was available. He had an opening and was able to start right away on building our home. And so 
we started into the process, and there were lots of ups and downs. If you've ever built a home, there are that. Things that went wrong, things that went, went right. But every time something went wrong, God used it to benefit our house. The guys that put on the, the roof backed into the electrical box, and um, because they backed into the electrical box, the electric company had to come out and check it out, and because they checked it out, they were like, hey, you're, you're already wired up here. Do you want us to go ahead and connect it? And our contractor was like, I've got four houses over here that they haven't come to in months. But because those guys backed into your electrical box, you're already hooked up for electricity. I can keep working on your house. Like everything that was a negative turned out to be a positive in the process. All the way down to the point when it was time to close on the house and it didn't value the way we expected it. And we didn't have enough money for the closing costs. And we're like, how are we going to pay this amount? And it wasn't a small amount. Well, it just so happened that we had extra money coming in from an adoption when we filed our taxes, and it was the exact amount we needed to close on the house. So the time between when we paid back our last tithe to the time uh, that we moved into our house was just about nine months. And in that time period where we were displaced from a home, we were given a rental house that was less than a mile from where we were building. God did it. And so God gets the glory for the story. And so I share this with you because God challenged me all the way back in 2016 to do this because my journey is your journey. You may be sitting in your seat to set day saying, if God challenged me to do that, I'm not sure I could say yes. And I'm telling you, you better say yes because the blessings that come from it far outweigh what you have to give up in the process. Our disobedience has a trickle-down effect that hurts and injures others. It turns us into people we don't want to be, leads us into greater sin. But our obedience has the opposite effect. When you live to give instead of take, trusting God, He not only blesses you, He makes you a blessing to others, and He gets all the glory. So, what are you going to choose to give to Him today? Miss Debbie, I've called her Miss Debbie my whole life. I can't stop calling her Miss Deborah. Well, you can call her Deborah. She prefers Deborah, but for me, she'll always be Miss Debbie. She has already challenged us with praying about faith promise. That's great. But God is stretching all of us in different ways of how are we expressing our love to Him? How are we giving back to Him? How are we giving to others in order for His glory to increase? And so the question is, what are you willing to give him? And what are you willing to not give him? And then what is he asking you to give? Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. And as much as it pains me to say it, I thank you for the challenge of stewardship and tithing. Because it does stretch us. It does challenge us, Lord, to to realize that we're not in control, that we're completely dependent upon you. In many ways, it uh, helps us tighten up where we waste money on things that don't matter. And you redirect the finances you blessed us with to how to build your kingdom. God, for those who are struggling to give financially, help them be obedient to you today. For those who are struggling to give of their time, Lord, they a lot of time for a lot of things but they just don't have time for you, either in their daily devotions or service in the church. 
Lord, help them to realize that you hold their first moment and their last moment, that every second is a gift, and that, Lord Jesus, their life would be so much better if they would give back to you what you've asked of them. Maybe it's abilities, Lord. Maybe it's a spiritual gift they've held back. God, for our church, our local church, to grow like it's supposed to, for us to continue to send out missionaries and leaders and pastors and teachers and, and, and lay leaders, Lord, it, it requires us to not just give of our time and our money, but also our abilities. Show us how we're to do that, Lord. Not any of us are called to everything. We've all got unique callings. And so maybe there's people in the room today, Lord, who have been serving you and it hasn't been their calling. And they need to step back from that, Lord, and give in other ways. I know, God, there's been times where I, I need to confess that I've stepped outside of my calling and taken on roles that I wasn't supposed to, and I took away somebody else's blessing. So, Lord, help us to just settle into your beautiful act of love. Help us to not be that second child who does so begrudgingly. <laughs> and we miss the point. Help us all be like that third child. Our gift may not be perfect, but it's all that we have. And as you uh, were delighted in the widow's might, Lord, I pray that you would delight in our gifts as well. In your name we pray, amen. Come and respond.